0: All right, well, good morning. So does anybody have a gospel sharing experience you want to share with the group from this past week? Anyone? No? All right, hopefully that means we're at least trying. Yeah, Paul, I'm going to bring the mic over to you
1: just so folks can hear. So this week at work, we had um, another round of layoffs, and that was obviously challenging. But in the midst of that, um, people are really pretty rocked. Uh, the people who stay have you know, kind of that survivor's guilt, and the people who um, leave are obviously hurting in a different way. And um, just started asking people if I could pray with them, both people, one person that I laid off. And uh, another person who's still on the team and stuff, and just ended up being a great opportunity to pray the gospel, um, and to pray where uh, the joy of the Lord stems from, and to to give the gospel in that circumstance. And it's always amazing because when people are hurting, uh, they usually they usually will not refuse prayer, and you can just. Pray the gospel all over those people, <laughs> uh, and they won't interrupt you. So, uh, yeah, praise the Lord for that opportunity. Yeah, great. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that's a, that's a good reminder. Another
0: another technique of how to share the gospel, too, right? Um, uh, yeah, I was also, it was interesting. I, I had to go to an industry day thing for, for my job down in Mobile, Alabama, and I didn't know where the person I was partnered up with in the cart was spiritually and stuff. So, but I was reminded about how you sort of have to earn the right to be heard. Turns out he is a Christian, but took four and a half hours to get to that, to where that was revealed. And and so, um, so another good, good example of you know sometimes, it, it, every situation is different, and we'll talk about that a little bit today. Um, so uh, hopefully you're still uh, taking on the challenge to to pray these different prayers or. Or something similar throughout this. Um, if you're not, I would encourage you to think about should you be praying about how you're sharing the gospel on a regular basis, right? Just make it part of your normal prayer life since this is something we're supposed to be doing regularly um, and not just make it a six-week thing. Uh, this week we're going to dive into how Jesus shared the good news, so uh, we're in the next couple of chapters, but I'll, I'll highlight a few points from last week's sermon that I think tie in pretty nicely. Uh, Adam gave us seven different voids, sin, leave, but three of them specifically. You know, it drives a perpetual search, which we see people searching constantly for answers. Um, It necessitates our gospel witness, and it is remedied by repentance and faith in Jesus. Uh, And then there were three points of application. To live a life of gospel joy. And not like we're unsatisfied or we need something more. In other words, we have everything we need. Um, So, you know, just rhetorical question, how did you do with that this week? You know, living that life of gospel joy and showing others that we really do have everything we need. Uh, We seek uh, compassion with emptiness of the world's pursuits. So how did you do both seeing and acting and caring for unbelievers by sharing the gospel in part or in whole with them this week. And then Adam's uh, third point of application was have a statement ready. Uh, So did you think about the likely conversations you might have and purposely think about or prepare a statement as a launching point? Uh, I found myself trying to apply that this week with this individual because I'm like, okay, okay. You know, the conversation's pro- probably going to go here or there, and so what could I potentially say to spur on the conversation and start talking about more spiritual things? Um, but uh, hopefully you've got that. Um, okay, so that, that brings us into Chapter 6 of the Tell Someone book by Greg Laurie, and this one's labeled the How-To Jesus-Style Evangelism. So he starts off by talking about building a bridge to listener and being careful not to burn one. Um, The the author, Greg Laurie, talks about how he's seen Christians armed with memorized Bible verses and clever arguments and completely overwhelm a person in a gospel barrage, is what he calls it. And they might have won the debate, but sadly, they don't win the soul. Uh, So one of the best ways is just simply to engage with the person. Uh, Knowing this everyone know this everyone's favorite subject is their selves, right? You can sort of see this With selfies, right? Just look at Facebook or Instagram or snapchat, right? It's all about this is what I did this look at look what I'm doing look what I'm evolved with Right, Uh, so so that's pretty obvious in today's culture Um, So what the author says here is just simply ask person the person questions about their lives You know what their views are what their outlook is what do they think about this or that and then he emphasizes not to interrupt them let them get their full response out Um, and instead of trying to form a response just try to understand what they're saying and why and then lovingly build the bridge to them so Jesus uh, gives us a great example of this right as a master communicator and and how he shows that loving approach In John 4, you have the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, I think most of us are familiar with that story, right? Um, And Jesus meets her, and, and, you know, I think most of us understand, you know, what her background was, right? She was married, she was divorced repeatedly, living out of wedlock, she was a social outcast. And interestingly enough, Jesus didn't condemn her, he reached out to her. He wasn't effective because he told her about her past like some magic trick. He was effective because he listened and discussed meaningful things uh, that were going to uh, be important to her. What's also interesting is Jesus, you know, in the text says he, Jesus needed to go, right? Um, in John 4, 4. Even though Samaria was actually out of the way on that trip. Like, he, he purposely went there. It wasn't like... I'm just stopping off for a pit stop and I need some water and we got to get some lunch. Right? He, he made a, he, it was a very purposeful uh, approach to things. Um, and then he was willing to talk to, you know, the socially unacceptable person who was burned out and hurting, needing his love and help. And he starts by asking a question, not telling her she was a sinner uh, or something like that. He appealed to her spiritual curiosity while showing his humanity and even some vulnerability by asking for a drink of water. And by the way, that wasn't that common in this scenario, right? The woman at the well by herself at the hour that women did not go to the well meant that she was a social outcast, a man asking the woman for water, right? There were a lot of things that just weren't common in this scenario, but very purposeful by Christ. Um, and even though Jesus was God, Uh, He also showed humility in that. Uh, You know, Greg Laurie brings out, remember, we're just essentially beggars by telling other beggars where to find food. Uh, So that sometimes can sort of bring in the right approach to humility, right? Just sort of remembering our state. We might be a little better off, perhaps, but we're not better than that other individual, right? We're all sinners. Uh, Greg Laurie goes on then to... He labels the next section "spiritual chumming," so you all know what chumming is, right? Where you take, you know, pieces of meat, throw them in the water, sharks have a little feeding frenzy, that kind of thing. That's that's what chumming is, right? So uh, he goes on and talks about how Jesus told uh, the disciples specifically that he would, if he would follow him, he would make them fisher of men. And uh, Jesus says to the woman at the well as he's talking, he sort of. Again, asking questions. So that's, you know, if you're thinking about the chumming analogy, it's sort of sort of fishing, it's sort of getting them to get some interest, right, and, and engage. Um, Jesus says to the woman at the well, if you only knew the gift of God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. That's John 4.10. And following Christ's example, this is a great way to engage a person Uh, As Greg Laurie sort of breaks it down, he just says, you know, just make a spiritual point and see how they respond. So uh, you don't necessarily have to have a whole sermon ready. You know, we can just make a spiritual point. So he suggests, you know, maybe something like this. Maybe say "It's, it's amazing to realize how the Bible predicted so many of the things happening right now and just see how they respond and then engage in the conversation where it takes you from there. Um, he does stress, sometimes people will ignore you, other times they may respond by asking you what you mean or talking about. Uh, the author also mentions a friend who also says, does anybody, has anyone ever told you that there is, God, there is a God in heaven who loves you? And he stresses that people usually like to hear that somebody loves them, right? And so, you know, that they might want to dive deeper. So, you know, there's no set way to necessarily, you know, start with this one question and, and move on. Uh, John 4, 11 to 12, uh, Jesus back with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. She seems intrigued, but interestingly enough, and honestly, I'm not sure I ever read the story quite this way, but, you know, he says, you know, she was sort of cynical and sarcastic in her response because she says, yeah, you don't even have a rope or a bucket. Well, it's very deep. You know, where would you... Get this living water are you greater than Jacob I mean you can see sort of hear the sarcasm a little bit right um, you're saying you can do better than him uh, so the fact of the matter is as we all know he was greater than Jacob right uh, but making that clear too soon where she couldn't understand wasn't really gonna help her get to the right point so he decides to appeal to her curiosity and address the water he does have to offer um, and talking about her need and where she was looking. Um, the author goes on to also talk about, you know, people, people are searching, right? They go to the well for something. There's different types of wells out there. And so this can be an approach as well, understanding what they're searching for. Um, so he talks about, you know, there's the well of material accumulation, the well of success, the well of pleasure, the well of sex, well of just fill in the blank. Right, and so if you can understand what they're searching for, that's an avenue to approach and have a conversation with them. Um, Interestingly enough, she's still a little bit flippant in in how she comes across, and this is part I don't think I ever necessarily took the story this way. I always took it more of a response to responding to to Christ. But in the conversation, if you go back and read it, it, I think it does actually come off this way. You know, sir, give me this water; then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water, right? It is sort of a flippant kind of response back to, you know, she still isn't getting it uh, completely. It wasn't repentance. Uh, things still had to be addressed, but she was certainly curious, right? She's still engaging in the conversation. So Jesus just confronts the issue at hand. He says, go get your husband. They have an exchange about that, even though it's not very comfortable for her. Um The author goes on to talk about, yes, uh, this was Christ having the engagement, but because he got to know her, he saw through the facade and was able to address her true state. Uh, Greg Laurie goes on to talk about how he says, he said um, when he was personally searching, outwardly he kept saying to people, I want nothing to do with Christianity, I want nothing to do with this. But he says the reality was he was searching and wanting to know more. Uh, He rejected Christianity because he thought that's what he was supposed to do, but no one engaged him long enough to get into a discussion, so he was never able to really get to the next part of that and get past uh, that. Um, You know, you think about today's culture, right, and a lot of people we interact with. How many people today reject Christianity because it's just the popular mainstream kind of thing to do, right? They're woke. I can't accept that because I want to be part of this cultural norm that's sort of been created, if you will, or trend, at least. Um, so it, that's a good thing, then, to remember Romans ten fourteen. 14. Uh, we talked about this before, right? But the verse says, how, will they, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So that's that's like one verse. Like if we're going to pray about something, you know, you can just put that in your arsenal for, you know, maybe it's a daily prayer. You know, pray that, um, Lord, help me be that person that helps them hear, so they can understand. Um, so yeah, uh, Greg goes on to explain that if he needed somebody to tell him and show him the way. And the fact of the matter is that's, you know, another case in the in the Bible is about people uh, needing someone to show them the way. And you have eunuch, uh, the eunuch from Ethiopia in Acts 8 that Philip engages. Right? God's searching. Or, I mean, he's, he, the, the eunuch goes searching in Jerusalem and leaves confused and still searching, reading the scriptures about prophecies of Christ in Isaiah 53. And God sends Philip by the Holy Spirit to the desert. And Philip doesn't really know exactly what he's doing there, at least by the text. We can't imply that he knows exactly what he's doing there, right? I mean, he didn't have a plan. He just went and waited. Um, And the author says sometimes God leads us just one step at a time. It might be so we don't overthink the situation, helps us rely on the Holy Spirit, and I'll throw in a parenthetical, you know, sometimes it also prevents us from coming up with excuses not to act. Because we just have to deal with the situation in front of us. Um, Philip may have been frustrated waiting in the desert. He, uh, you know, but then the caravan comes along, and the the chariot at least uh, comes along. And Philip acts. he's very tactful and tactful, and asks a meaningful and simple question: "Do you understand?" And sometimes that's all we have to. That's all we have to ask when we're having some of these conversations. you know, wouldn't it be a good question to ask someone who said they read the Bible and, and said, well, yeah, I read that and couldn't find anything in there of use or whatever. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be interesting if we just asked, did you understand what you read? Like that might, that might be the next logical question, right? Uh, and it's safe, to under, it's safe to say that if we're still, you know, those of us, especially those of us who have been Christians a long time, are still learning things from the Bible that one person looking at, you know, just part of the Bible probably didn't get it the first time, right? That's a fairly safe assumption. And so just asking, do you understand, you know, it's, it's not an indictment. It's just seeing, uh, seeing if they respond with questions and seeing if the door starts opening some. Um, and in, in the case with Philip and the eunuch, the eunuch asks, or responds with, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? You know, that's Acts 31, uh, 8.31. So Philip explains it to him, right? And so that's the next part of it is be ready to explain, right? If somebody says they don't understand. Uh, the man believes, is baptized, and goes away rejoicing. Uh, what's interesting is uh, the book draws out, that it says 25% of adults in the U.S. say they would go to church if a friend were to invite them. Notice that it's, it's not a stranger, it's a friend. I mean, there is a difference there, right? Besides somebody just randomly inviting somebody to come to church. Um, but the point is, the, the point the author is trying to make is they need an invitation, right? They need an invitation to discuss things. They need an invitation to go to church. It's not so much about the going to church. It's more about preaching the gospel. But, but you know, look at it this way. Do we have friends? I think everybody here could say yes, right? Do we have friends who are unbelievers? Uh, I'm guessing everybody here could say yes. You know, you can put in family there too if you want, right? Do you have non-believing friends you haven't invited to church? I'm guessing everybody here could say yes. All right. So again, it's not so much about inviting people to church, uh, but it is about inviting them into a discussion. Sometimes a way to, to do that is to invite them to church. Um, but then again, going back to the be purposeful about it, then maybe invite them to church and go to lunch afterwards so you can ask the question, did you understand? Right? So take it that next step. Not just not just get them in the pew and then, all right, see you next week. Um, follow up on it. Uh, the author then gets into another little section which talks about some of the approach, right? Uh, that arguing with people doesn't normally get them to believe, right? Uh, he says nobody has ever been argued into the kingdom of God. And probably more insightful is if they can be argued in, they can probably be argued out. Um, so it's, watch that approach, which... Uh, you know, I don't think most people take, but, but then he brings up the next point is, you know, worse yet is sort of people yelling, like they get so, so passionate about it that they start like yelling at them, right? He even brought up an example where he's walking down the street and there's one of these street corner guys telling everybody they're going to hell. He turns to, you know, Greg Laurie, who's been a pastor for like 20 or 30 years by this time, and he's like, you're going to hell. And he's like, I don't think so. Right. Um, you know, but what's it do? In most cases, it just turns people off. And so having that gracious, loving approach makes a big difference, is, is the point. Um, and, and he makes the point, the person can say the right thing the wrong way. Um, D.L. Moody, he quotes as uh, saying, no one should ever talk about hell to a non-believer without a tear in his eye. Uh, and so I think that's another good reminder of, of approach, right? We need to ask ourselves why we're having that approach and why we're talking to that person. Now, Colossians four six says, Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And, and this gets into, on the handout you see at the top there, it says, Be winsome to winsome, right? It's an old slogan kind of thing of preaching the gospel. Um, we talked about the salt last week, but... Uh, you know it, when we look at it you, like if, if you people don't want to talk to you why are they going to talk to you right I mean if you try to force that conversation because you know you're just aggressive it's probably not going to be helpful to us to share the gospel uh, the next section goes into how the gospel message must be clearly boldly verbally and lovingly stated to the person we're speaking to first uh, 1 Corinthians 121 says For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Um, So the point the author's making here is you don't have to raise your voice to preach the message, but you do have to articulate the message. It's got to be clear. Uh, then, Then he goes on and talks about how Jesus never dealt with any two people in the same way. And so he uses the example of the woman at the well, and Nicodemus. Uh, those of you who are part of the BSF, you studied this not too long ago yourselves uh, in Bible study fellowship. Um, you know, they're completely different places of understanding and background. So you can pull out your hand out there. Um, we just going to do like a little comparison. Everybody know the story of Samaritan woman and know the story of Nicodemus. Somebody doesn't sort of shake their head, no, I'm going to assume you do. Okay, so very different, right? You had, you had two things, so we can fill this out together, right? Yeah, gender, what's the difference? Nicodemus, man, Samaritan woman, well, woman, right? I guess that makes it pretty clear, right? Morality, where did Nicodemus stand on sort of the scale of morality? High morality, Samaritan woman, low. Okay, we sort of talked about our state, right? Divorced multiple times, so, right? How about education? Where's Nicodemus at? <laughs> Thanks, Valerie. Hi. Where's the Samaritan woman, most likely? Probably pretty low, right? No, there's nothing to indicate that she has any kind of formal education. How about social standing? Where's Nicodemus at? Yeah, he's sort of in elite class within that, right? He's looked up to. How about social standing of the Samaritan woman? Yeah, a social outcast, right? I mean, people won't even go to the well with her. She has to go at a different time of the day. That's how much of a social outcast. How about ethnicity? Nicodemus is... he's Yeah, pure, Jew, right? How about Samaritan woman is Samaritan, but what's that mean? In the Jewish culture, yeah, you avoid them. They're they're second class, essentially, right? They they were the ones who, you know, uh, had a lot of involvement with the Assyrians and stuff when they settled and didn't keep themselves pure, so to speak. Okay, how about the time of day? When did Jesus engage Nicodemus? Nighttime. Why? social standing. Nicodemus is concerned about how others are are going to see him, right? Engaging with Jesus. How about the time of day with the Samaritan woman? It's at noon, right? Completely out in the open? Anybody can see what's going on, right? Okay, how about the emotional state? Where's Nicodemus? Yeah, questioning, he's curious, right? He's trying to figure out what's being said and what this is all about. How about the Samaritan woman? What's that? She's crazy. (laughs) Cynical, you could say she's probably somewhat desperate, right, because she's all by herself. I mean, most of us, if we were socially outcast, that educated, you know, going through a run of marriages, we probably would feel a little desperate, right? Most people would feel that way. So, you know, it's interesting, right? Nicodemus was supposed to have all the answers, but he had a lot of questions. Samaritan woman didn't assume she had really any of the answers, but she had a lot of questions. <laughs> um, and so you can sort of get a little bit of a theme there. The, the point is so much about, is that, um, you know, Jesus changed his approach with the two different individuals, right? There's not like a one-stop, Approach And honestly, when I started reading this book, to a degree, I was sort of like, you know, I'd like to find a more like, there's got to be like a more methodical approach, right? I'm a little more scientifically process oriented, right? So you get a good process, stick with it. But the fact of the matter is people aren't that way, right? And so we have to approach each person individually because they all have different backgrounds. They all have different places in life. Um, They all have different things they're going through at this time. And so every situation is unique for how we engage people. And I think that's where the the book is drawing that out. Uh, The author goes back to 1 Corinthians 9.22 where it says, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And so, you know, that's not talking about lowering our standards, but it is talking about tailoring the conversation. And I think that's a, that's a good reminder to us, right? Because a lot of times at first, you know, you sort of hear that. You're sort of like, well, how do I need to change myself? Well, we do need to change our approach to that individual because that individual is different. And that's what the author is saying the verse is really trying to get at. Um, he does get back into, in in the this part, when the conversation starts, Uh, Christians can also often find themselves that disagree about whatever the person's saying and tend to argue uh, because we feel like we need to become an apologist of sorts, right? And and we need to argue with them and uh, prove them wrong, if you will, or at least prove ourselves right. Um, And a lot of times that doesn't necessarily draw them to the gospel. That just makes them entrench themselves. Uh, you can look at today's woke culture, right? It, and that's—it's an interesting thing. It's actually an easy way to start a discussion, because really, when you look at—you know—the wokeness, if you will, what's it—what's it about? What are—what are people woke about? It's really just about. If you break it down to nuts and bolts, right? It's really just about the value of every individual. That's what they're trying to express. Everybody's got value. Everybody should be valued. Now, granted, we know it's skewed, but it's pretty easy to discuss to launch into a discussion about how God loves and values everyone enough for Christ to die for them. That second part is very important. You got to include Christ. Um, you know, versus having a conversation about how everyone has uh, value and God loves everyone just the way they are. Right? That's not biblical. But when we introduce Christ, God loved you enough that Christ died for you. Right? Now it it fits right into the value of everyone. Right? And so it's actually a fairly easy conversation starter when you start getting into the woke culture thing, even though it may not feel like it at first. Um, So at the end of this chapter... Uh, Greg Laurie goes on to talk about his stepfather's conversion so again you remember his mother was married like five times I think it was um, You know just went through the string of marriages he had all these different stepfathers and there was one that sort of stuck with him That he he really liked uh, when he was probably like 10 or 12 and then his mother just left and left him and went to another guy at one point point. and so he after a number of years, you reached back out to him and and just like I wonder what's up with him like I feel like I need to reach back to him so um so they went back across the coast back over to new jersey and and they were sitting in there at the table and he was just telling his own testimony and what he found was his stepfather was, became very curious. It turned out that he was very educated, he was a very educated lawyer, he had a heart condition, so he's probably he had his heart softened a little bit no you know, physical piece there, but you know what I mean. Um, and it turns out that he, he wanted to listen to his story, and then the next morning they're going out for a walk, and, he, and his stepfather says, basically, I want what you have. I want to become a Christian. Um, and, and then he, uh, you know, he's like, well, let me make sure you understand exactly what we're talking about here, right? Because he just didn't want to making some sort of off-the-cuff kind of decision. Um, it, but the point is that he listened to Greg's story and he wanted what Greg had. Uh, that's what drew him in. Uh, and he was curious, even though nobody ever thought that he was searching for any answers, right? He gave this facade that looked like he was perfectly fine and how life was going on. Everything was good. Okay. So that, then it gets us into chapter seven. It's labeled the big one that got away. Uh, and it starts right off with Jesus and the rich young ruler. Okay, so another example of a different different engagement. Luke 18 is where we're at, and I'll just read a passage there, uh, starting in verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, "Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?" "Why do you call me good?" Jesus answered, "No one is good except God alone." You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these things I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is, is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. So you take a look at this man, right? Totally, you have the Samaritan woman, you got Nicodemus. Here's a different scenario, right? You look at the man, and he was successful by all worldly accounts, right? He's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. I'll venture to say maybe he was even good looking, right? Right. Uh, He's a bit forward and brash, and asking what he must do to have eternal life, because in his mind he's, you know, he's a good person, doing good things. Uh, Jesus could see the obstacle was his money and prestige and honor, and the honor and prestige it gave him. Uh, You know, and fast, you can fast forward, right? In the nineteenth century, it was all about having position and title, right? Today, it might be about what possessions you have, maybe. Uh, In certain circles, maybe it is still title and and that type of thing. Um, So Jesus recited a number of commandments, uh, and the man somewhat arrogantly says, well, I've obeyed them all since I've been young, which, as we know, wasn't really true, right? Um, and, And Jesus isn't citing the commandments so the guy could feel more righteous, but obviously because the commandments point to show us how unrighteous we are, and Jesus is trying to get the man to think about his own state, his own spiritual state, and where his heart is. Right? Uh, Romans three nineteen says, "Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be accountable to God." So if the ruler was honest, he would have admitted breaking uh, laws, or you know, breaking some of the laws. But instead, he boasted about keeping them. So you can really sort of see where his heart's at. Um, and what's fascinating in the, the parallel passage in Mark 10, 21, it also uh, has, a, has a verse that says, Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. So why would Jesus feel love for him, right? I mean, one, he sees that he's lost. But two, he sees that he's trying and he just doesn't understand. Like, he doesn't understand the purpose of the law. He doesn't understand what's taking place in the conversation. Um, The book goes on to talk about, you know, it's not disdain. It's not wanting to call him out. It's not wanting to make him accountable to what he just said. He certainly could have done that. He could have pointed out. He could have asked him six more questions to prove how he was wrong and not upholding the law. Interestingly enough, Christ doesn't do that. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a lesson in there, which is regardless if our listener is responsive to our message or not, we still need to show love for him or her. And we don't know if that rich young ruler eventually came back or, or something, right? And the Bible doesn't account for that anywhere necessarily. May have, may not have. Um, the, the more important thing here is Jesus could see what was most important to the man, and that's why he tells him to sell his possessions. It wasn't a call to poverty poverty. It wasn't condemning his wealth. Uh, you know, he was just addressing his heart, and that's why the man's head, you know, fell and he went away. Because he did see himself. Now he had to struggle with what his true state was. So the author goes on to talk about sometimes the light goes on and they get it. And when you see that, the Holy Spirit is at work. Um, but sometimes people will reject Christ, and so we need to understand that. The, the next section in the book goes into talk about keeping your eye on the ball, quote-unquote, right? Uh, so what the author says is when the person starts getting uncomfortable or things really start getting close to, to home, so to speak, they, they often try to break away from the conversation, right? And you see this, right? If you ever have a debate with somebody about something, person sort of, sort of, okay, just try to end the, try to end the discussion, or try to, you know, move to something else, right? The woman at the well did it uh, some, right? She starts bringing up the forefathers and Jacob, and it's really sort of a rabbit trail when you look at it. Like it's totally irrelevant to what they were talking about, um, and Jesus doesn't labor the point about her forefathers. She just stays on the target, right? You know, think of, uh, you know, if, if you like movies, you know, think of Luke Skywalker, right? Stay on target, stay on target, right? Go to the, right? Stay, so stays on the target. Um, one thing you should expect that those who are feeling threatened or challenged personally will also barrage us with questions, right? So they start bringing up things like, you know, will God send people to hell? And you know, would a loving God do that? You know, and a bunch of questions like that. And what the author says, yeah, if you've got a good answer, address them. But the point is, always bring it back to the gospel and don't get stuck on those questions. Don't allow the conversation to get stuck on something that's secondary to the whole thing, if even relevant. And one technique to do that is, is to ask them why they're even asking that question of you. So you sort of flip it around. right? Remember Jesus and the coin, right? They ask him about the coin. Caesar or God? And he responds back with a question. Uh, So we can just use Christ's example uh, with that. Um, But the author goes back to say, again, if you ask questions, you actually have to listen to the answer. So, you know, here you are in this discussion, it's starting to get a little debatey kind of thing. Don't get sucked into a debate, right? Listen to the the answers so you can address the right issues the right way. You know, and there's, there's some of us in today's culture, it's really hard to be a good active listener, you know, and uh, personally, that's one of the things, like, I, I have a tendency to formulate the next thing in my mind as it's going on, and I've had to work on this over the years, and I'm sure I'm not the only person out there, right, where, you know, your mind's spinning fast, and you got to slow it down and say, what is that person really saying, you know, do I understand where they're coming from and what they're saying, um jesus often answered a question with a question right we talked about that so uh so let's apply it in an example right you could you could say you know maybe somebody says ah jesus wasn't anything more uh, more than a great moral teacher so you could respond with what makes you think jesus was a great moral teacher like what about his teachings do you think that right have you read his teachings What do you think is the most important thing he said? Now, that's an interesting one because a lot of times people really haven't read and don't know what they're talking about. They're just reciting something else somebody has said, right? Uh, Another example is, what about a person who has never heard the gospel? Will God send them to hell? So maybe you you could respond with, why do you ask that? Do you believe in hell? Uh, Most people actually do because they deserve Uh, the worst people in the world should go to hell Um, so that then becomes an avenue to talk about God's righteous judgment and why there is even a hell they believe in it you know, they sort of open that up Um, you know, there's uh, some of us like I was in the military I'm sure there's people at certain jobs that have certain policies about not proselytizing and what have you What's interesting is there's a very easy way to not allow yourself to get trapped to make that an excuse. And this is not in the book, by the way. I'm just sharing this because I've, I've had this struggle with this over the years where I'm not allowed to proselytize. And you sort of feel like you have to keep your mouth shut. But when somebody says something and you ask a question back, guess what? They initiated that conversation. Right? You're, just asking, you're just asking more about what they said and what they had. You're not proselytizing at that point, quite honestly. You're just engaging in what they said, um, so we can't allow something like that to be an excuse um, especially in the workplace uh, then the author ends with another story from his personal experience which is and it's really just about don't give up right stay on the target, don't give up sometimes it takes years. So his mom was not saved and here he is, you know, down the road, he tried to initiate conversations with her. She was always, nope, don't want to hear it, don't want to talk about that, Greg. Um, and and she was pretty ill, looked like she might be nearing the end of her life, and so he felt like he just needed to try try again, felt like he was being nudged by the Holy Spirit, so he sat down prayed with his wife. There's a good lesson there about preparing, right, and purposefully thinking about what that would be. Uh, what that engagement would be like. And then he tried again after he said countless attempts. And they ended up having a conversation about her soul while she was sick and about Christ and she was saved. And months later she dies. That's not always going to happen. But he did everything he could um, and he didn't give up. The the point he's trying to make there is don't give up. Because even if, The person rejects Christ and rejects even having a conversation about Christ over and over and over. In most cases, they're thinking about it still, and the Holy Spirit can still work through that. So the other point he makes is respond to the Holy Spirit. Uh, If the Holy Spirit is nudging you, and don't put it off. Uh, So there's there's a prayer in this week's bulletin, you can, uh, you can pull that out. I'm, again, I'll read it. You can modify it if you want throughout the week and, and uh, pray, but I'd encourage you to try to pray it every day this week. It says, Lord, never let me fall into the trap of thinking it is too late, regardless of previous interactions with others. Teach me to love unbelievers the way Jesus loved. Please show me not only what to say, but how to say it. Grant me patience, a listening ear, discernment, and most of all, give me love for my neighbor, colleagues, and those I get to interact with. You've modeled the way, now give me the strength to imitate you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we've got that. I'm going to just wrap things up by giving you a few reminders from last week's sermon. Our task is to stand and testify. It's very clear in Jesus' command to us in the Great Commission. We don't have to be tight-lipped when everybody around us is loose-lipped. We get to talk too, right? Uh, Everything God has made you to be serves His purpose. And we must share the gospel this week. So, let's try to keep engaging others about the gospel. Uh, Next week, we'll continue on. We've got a couple more weeks left, so let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your son as an example, not just as our savior, but somebody that we can uh, continually learn from and, and to understand how to share your love. Lord, we ask that you would give us the opportunity to share the gospel with those that we get to interact with, and we ask that you would uh, bless that, make it clear to us how the Holy Spirit is working and that we would be responsive to the Holy Spirit so that others may come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.